Welcome to Camera Shake Podcast, episode 123, the podcast where we talk about photography, videography, and anything that's got anything to do with any of that. Now, before we get into this uh, this week's episode, let me just tell you that if you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, be reminded that there is a fully-fledged uh, video version over on YouTube. So if you'd like to not only listen to the sultry voices, but also see everything in, in uh, perfect Technicolor, then head over to YouTube and check it out there. Now, it is episode 123, and today we have a special guest on the show. It is the London-based actor, portrait, fashion, fitness, and doodoo-ar photographer, and the only guest we've ever had on the show who had a leading role in the Take That musical, Never Forget. Give it up for Mr. Mark Wilshire. Mark, man, how are you? Thank you very much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like I say, um, the, the the never forget part of the um, uh, of, of that sort of reel there was that's a very integral part of being a um, a photographer of your training to be to be uh, doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I'm must. good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, yeah, like I say, I, I I've um, I've listened to your podcast a lot, especially like recently with like I do walks around the park, getting my steps in, and you know I listen to right. some great episodes of say, for example, Tommy Reynolds, uh, Hannah Cousins, Jake Hicks, Joel Grimes. Like I've listened so much, so it will be strange that when this comes out, I'll be listening to myself. <laughs> I might well, skip always, that episode. <laughs> well, it's always good to hear that. At least that's one person listening to the to the to the podcast. So that's that's good. true. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Wicked. Uh, well, it's great to have you on the show. Um, we met in person uh, just over a year ago at the photography show in 2021. And then, of course, this year, we missed each other because of, you know, the, the Monday being cancelled and uh, and all the rest of it. But um, that's just life. Yeah, I think I think um, that, that Monday sort of not happening um, threw a lot of people's schedules off. So... It was a shame, but obviously had to be done. Uh, but I think people, because I was there on the Tuesday, and I think people um, definitely made up for not having that day. Like everyone was running around trying to get like deals done and everything, and as much as they could to, um, you know, fit in fit in two days worth of stuff on the Tuesday. And I was speaking to some of the vendors and stuff and everything, and they were saying that. Um, they were so tired and I was like what even with a Monday off because and I think like maybe some of them did stuff on the on the Monday um like I know uh, Tommy and, and Jake went off with a PixPro team and they found a studio somewhere and took the opportunity to record um you know some some videos and footage for PixPro so everyone whilst it looked like they should have been rested with having the Monday off everyone looked absolutely naked on the on the Tuesday anyway so it was probably because there was a lot of partying and boozing going on on the Monday because no, nobody else had anything to do. No, no, everyone was professional. And, and oh, of course, 100%. Just water. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could attest to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was there from uh, Saturday to Monday and obviously I was meant to be at the show for three days, but um, but that didn't work out. So I had to cram everything into two days. You know, once once we were told that the Monday was going to be cancelled, it was like, oh, okay, I've got hotels booked and you know all the rest of it. And I uh, thought, well, now I'm going to be hanging out in Birmingham for like a whole day with nothing to do. But mm. the flip side was that because everybody was in the same boat, you know, it actually turned out to be to be a really fun day. You know, we met up with a lot of people, went, you know, went had some dinner. And, uh, and so it was a good opportunity to bond, you know, and to like just socially connect rather than just running around like a headless chicken at a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I, I took the opportunity. I met up with Tommy Reynolds uh, the evening before uh, the Tuesday. Uh, we had a good catch up and everything, and he was telling me about how the show had gone for him. And really? you know, we sort of filled each other in on on what had been happening recently. So um, yeah, it was sometimes because because then also when the next on the Tuesday when I went, like Tommy was was doing all his talks and everything, so I didn't really get much time to spend with him then. Um, yeah. So, so it was nice to spend the time with him on the Monday evening. But he did, however, manage to rope me in um, to assisting him on the uh, on one of his talks. So thanks oh, okay. for that, Tommy, for listening. It was fine. <laughs> I was happy. I was happy to. You know, it's always good. Like even yeah. being up there and sort of being at the back and and watching a, a talk go on was good because you can always, you know, you're always learning something. So um, exactly. And a lot of the talks were moved, you know, or had been moved from the Monday to the Tuesday. So, so that was, you know, my sort of regret was that I missed a lot of talks because I had to come back on a Monday evening. Yeah. And there was, there was, uh, I had meetings on a Tuesday morning. I just had to come back for that. But, you know, it was one of these things I think, ah, oh, okay, I would have really liked to have, you know, been there for Kaylee Greer's talk. That was moved to the Monday, uh, to the Tuesday, so I missed that. Sure. But, you know, it was all, it was all good. It was it was still, I thought it was a, it was a really good show. That was Anyway, that was my impression. Um, I really liked it. It was very different from last year. Yeah, they, it, it sort of sized up a little bit, hadn't it? Um, in terms of the the amount of people that were there, and you know, vendors and stuff and everything. But also, I, I don't know actually. Maybe not the foot traffic so much. But from from, I mean, last year was my first experience, and I was like, oh wow, this is great. And like a lot of people had said okay. to me who'd been, you know, pre-COVID years, they were like, oh, this is like so so small compared to what it's usually been. And from what I could from what I could gather, um, this year had, had sort of like it had been a, a between of, of sort of last year's smaller one and the usual big one. It was kind of yeah. like a, um, a, a sort of like in betweener. And of course now the next one's not going to be until, um, 2024, is it? So I'm That's sure, right, yeah. sure hopefully with a bit more time now, like a year and a half, they'll probably plan to get it back to its original size. I'd imagine. Yeah. Well, it was good to see, you know, a lot more, um, manufacturers, you know, being there um, and having stands and stuff, and you know, and some of some of the uh, some some of the exhibitors were there for the first time, like uh, Platypod, for example. Yeah. You know, that was uh, that was really great to see. You know, Larry and the team come over out um, to have a stand there. It's a great opportunity uh, for me to actually to talk to Larry in the, in the flesh for the first time because we'd had him on the show. You know, spoken to him online and everything, but it's it's just always a great opportunity. You know, when you actually meet somebody in the flesh. And you know, and you can play around with all the products as well. That was cool. Yeah, so so true. Like I've I've been speaking to the Pix Pro team now um for I don't know, maybe two, two and a half years. And like obviously most of that's been through COVID. So I've not yeah. ever had the chance to meet them face to face. So to finally actually go up to them um on the show at their stall and say, Hey, you know, we've been emailing back and forth and back and forth constantly for the last two and a half years. It this is me, you know, um and and what's what's strange is is that because i like do all my stuff and i'm i'm not camera shy obviously because of being an actor so it doesn't bother me too much i can't talk more about this later but yeah. i i tolerate myself that's the best way of putting it so obviously because i am in front of the camera a lot more like some of the p team at pixbro knew exactly what i looked like so they could come to me and go hey mark you know whereas yeah. I, I was like oh, okay so who are you who are you right okay thank you guys but yeah it's so yeah. true like to I'm, I'm sure that they've been with a lot of cases between brands and manufacturers of, like you say, like being able to actually finally put, you know, the face to the name. Yeah. Uh, after all that time. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with 
we've done a number of episodes about the photography show now, and it's you know I always say that it is it's it, that's really the best element of it is actually you know being able to talk to other people and make these connections. Of course, it's great to play around with all the gear and everything, but it, nothing can really you know substitute talking to the person behind behind the name you know so no absolutely so. not and i and i think you you know like i wouldn't necessarily i say i did anything big at this year's show but i it's i still came back feeling like a, a little kick of ex, uh, of uh, inspiration should i say so yeah. even even if like you're going there and nothing's you know making you sort of like drool or um like sort of go oh my gosh like for example, last year, I remember going to see the Canon R3 and just, I think I was still sort of wiping the drool away as I was driving up ah. this year, just because of the the auto-focusing system on that with the eye tracking that when you look into the viewfinder tracks where your yeah. eyes look in to show where you want to focus. Like, um, yeah. I wouldn't say there was anything this year that made me sort of like drool in that sort of sense, but I, I still came away inspired because like you say, you're talking to people, you're meeting people and, and then you're just feeding off that sort of energy from, from all levels. Cause you know, I talked to people who were like only just starting out and like some people yeah. that recognize me and like, Oh my gosh, like I loved your work and like hearing their stories and, and how they're going and where they are on their journey and stuff. Like you yeah. can feed, uh, feed and, and get inspiration like all over the place, whether it's from brands or from other photographers and stuff. So it, it is great. It's I, I I keep recommending it to some of my other photographer friends, and I'm saying you're gonna have to come down next year. the The plan is well, 2024. The plan is to bring out. There's about six or seven of us that want to come all down, like and do a make a full, you know, like I say, a come down on the Sunday night and then spend Monday Tuesday there and have an yeah. opportunity to do the sort of business side of it and the pleasure yeah. side of it, but also then be able to have the social side of it as well by having a drink and some food afterwards and everything like that. So. Yeah, that's that's definitely the biggest thing for me. It's really the, the social side. You know, of course, I am there because I have to create an episode. Yeah. But really, I think the first day, this was. I mean, this. I think this was the 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 shocker really for me was was the thing that you know the first day I was doing a lot of. I mean, I did a couple of interviews, I think, and I did a, a lot of the kind of B roll sort of stuff. Um, you tend to shoot a lot more B roll than you actually end up using, you know, in the in the final video, but. Um, I thought by the end of, of the Saturday, I thought I had everything in the can that I needed. Then, of course, we were told Monday wasn't going to happen. Yeah. We're like, uh, oh, shoot. Okay. Mm, <laughs> damn it. And then on Sunday, all of a sudden, I literally had to, like, you know, rope in lots of people <laughs> to, help, to help me create all these interviews, which <laughs> yeah, is fantastic. Yeah. But it was, you know, the year before, we'd, we focused a lot on manufacturers and we spoke to a lot of uh, manufacturers about things like the, the R3 and stuff. Mm. Um, and although we did that a little bit uh, this time, the goal was really to 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 speak to people and make it more people centric. And uh, you know, and, and what came out, no matter who I spoke to, was that the reason why people were there, or the, or the thing that they enjoyed the most, was really the social aspect of it. You know, the kind of camaraderie and that stuff. And I had I had to rope in lots of people because <laughs> I couldn't exactly hold the camera and interview somebody at the same time. So yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. So I had to, at one point I was. Um, Dave Williams was helping me out, and then um, I was watching Sean Elizabeth's talk, and then I had arranged with her to interview her right after her talk. Now, and then I'd just spoken to Tommy, 
And then I just got Tommy to film my interview with <laughs> with Sean. So it's like, okay, cool. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's a star. You get your interview and then you've got to do some filming. No, exactly. So it worked out well. I mean, it's fine. You know, it's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a great thing. So when I met you last year at the photography show, I obviously, you know, we met, you know, we, we had a drink and we had a chat and everything. And then I went, um, and I, I checked out your uh, your photography on Instagram back, back in the day. And, uh, and I have to say, man, I absolutely love your portraiture. It's freaking Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great. I, I really love the way you work with colors. And I really love the way you, you play the, the background off against, you know, the, the dominant colors in the actual, in the subject. It really works extraordinarily well for me. Thanks. Yeah, there are lots of things that have, have taken uh, time for me to develop. And, and what's funny is, is sometimes when you you get so far and you look back and I will look at some of my, like anyone would and, and with any aspect to it, you look back at your work and you, and you, um, you go, wow, like I used to really love that image. And now I change this. I change that. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do this, you know? Of course. And I think, I think for me, what, one of the things of uh, that's helped me over maybe the last sort of year and a half, two years has been having my own space um, for any, for anyone who doesn't, know or isn't familiar with my work i i have a home space um and that's had it's now on its third iteration because of this is the third place i'm living since uh lockdown happened right. the original one is i had some boards up in my garage and it was it was raw let's just say <laughs> and and the second space ended up being the same board set up in a bedroom in the house that i was in and then we moved again and now i'm in a, a bigger space but the same boards are there and and just being able to have that um space and to and to shoot continuously um you know without having to worry about hiring spaces and stuff i think it's just sometimes i don't realize how far i've come along um and i look back and i say oh wow, like without even knowing that I'm doing certain things, it's just, I'm soaking it up. And and, and I'm I'm definitely one of those people, I finished off a shoot not long before we just come on here. And and I was saying to the clients then, I was saying, I'm one of those people that, le that massively learns by doing. And yeah. that for me is shooting constantly in my own space that, uh, or, or, or going and say, for example, assisting Tommy Reynolds or going to one of his workshops of which I'm not allowed to go to anymore now. He's when we met each other, he said, You can't come to anymore. He said, You can assist, but you're not coming. <laughs> um, but but for me, yeah, that learn learn by doing is, is a massive thing. Some people learn better by reading, some people sort of um take a lot on board by watching, say, YouTube videos and stuff. Um, but for me, it's being there and doing it and shooting it and trying to work it out. Sometimes it's a long process for me. Yeah. Um but I get there. I've got my goal, and I will eventually get there. And 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 to have that home space that I've got now to be able to play around with the things that you mentioned with the, with the color and everything and and background separation, um, it's just been it's just been great. And like I say, I don't sometimes I forget like what I'm doing with my work now. And you know, because personally for me, like that strive is always like, how can I make my work better? Like even when I look at shots now that I go, I really love that. Like, I'm so proud of what I've done there. I'll still go, I could have done that a little bit, you know? Um, I think that's just the actor in me. That's always constantly trying to go, how can I, how can I make this better? So yeah, it's, I, I think if anything, I put credit to 
the, the value of having a home space. It's, I've had this conversation with many people and, I, and I've created reels and, and YouTube videos about, about the value of doing it. And if anyone is listening now and sort of, you know, thinking, well, I've thought about doing it, but I don't know if I should just do it. Like at, at the end of the day, even if you try it and it doesn't quite work out for you, you've tried it then at least rather than you and you're not sort of sitting there going, Oh, what if, what if, because sometimes I, that what if that I was asking was like I say, the first iteration of my home studio, which was the boards up in the garage, I'd lived in that place for four and a half years and it took me until lockdown and not having, you know, anything else to do to go, I'm going to do it. And I should have done it four years earlier, you know? So if anyone's listening and and thinking, oh, well, yeah, I I, I would make a home studio, but this and, and that, just do it, just try it, try and make it work for you because there'll be so much that you can benefit from by just being able to, you know, not worrying about the, the availability of your local studio or, or, or anything like that. Just having your own space and having it there and being able to pick up the camera and shoot stuff when you want is, there's, there's so many benefits that you can get from it. And even, I mean, actually, I have to say, I was going to talk to you about the home studio thing anyway, because that's that's something we totally have in common because I also shoot, you know, out of my own home, basically. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I know the value of a, of a home studio for exactly the reasons that you outlined. I mean, just, you know, on one hand, it saves you a lot of money because you don't have Absolutely. to hire a space. Absolutely. Especially, you know, especially when you're, when you're working with clients. Like, I know, you, you know, you do headshot supporters, for example. It's like, if I had to charge, if I had to pay for a studio, I would have to charge on top of what I'm charging anyway. So either I'd be making less money or, you know, the, the, the final fee for the client would go up yeah. as a result of that. And so being able to shoot out of your, out of your own home is, you know, is such an advantage. But the other thing, is is that you can you can experiment you know you can try different things out you know you can see if they work or not you know i've definitely shot my family to death especially over <laughs> lockdown you know like my my daughter my youngest daughter especially he yeah, had my wife to a degree like sat in or stood in as as you know as models so many times you know just because i'm like oh i've got this idea for a different lighting setup let's try that you yeah know? And of course, they'd be bored to hell and back. But you know, <laughs> yeah, but that's just that's just how it is. And 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 like something I I promote as well, and and I I pushed in sort of um, photography groups on Facebook and stuff. Is I, again, so I said earlier on that I I tolerate seeing myself and I tolerate hearing myself. Um, and I sometimes don't have a model, or my I've done one shoot with my wife, and I don't think it's ever going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, so I, I tend to, if I have like, like yourself, you go, Oh, I've got, I want to try this lighting setup or something. If I haven't got anyone to, you know, rope in either a model that I've worked with or, or, or just getting another model to test with me, I'll use myself. Oh, absolutely. Because I can tolerate myself. I don't mind. I can try lighting setups and the huge benefit there is, is that I've gone, Oh, I wonder if this, I mean, I wonder if this will work. I'll, I'll try this line set, but let's do this, you know, and I'll have an afternoon to myself while I'll, while I, where I'll play around with stuff. Um, and event, I mean, it's a long process when you shoot in your own, cause it's very back and forth with like, okay, hit on the clicker, camera goes off, walk over to the, uh, the, the laptop cause yeah. it's tethered and go, oh, okay. I need to come a little bit to the right. Oh, a little bit to the left, tilt my head this way. And I'll hit yeah. the light. Da, 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 da. So it's a long, much longer, the process than what it would be testing out light with a subject in front of you. Absolutely. It can be done. And if you've got the patience and the time, because I know everyone doesn't have the time, 
then you can benefit from it so much. Like I, um, I recently um, tried a lighting setup with my optical snoot that I wanted to play around with. Um, and because I was able to sort of fine tune it with myself and it took me, I don't want to say hours, but it, it took, it took longer than I cared for. <laughs> um, uh, but, but after I finally got that set up down, I had a client in from the day, which was a, a, um, a player from the under 21s, uh, Chelsea women's team. Yeah. And I could, and I could use that setup straight away. And I had an example of my work. So I could say to her, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this for this next setup. What do you think? Show them my, the image of me on my, like, um, obviously I'd transferred it to my phone. I didn't take it on my phone. Um, but here, here's what it would look like. Oh my God, that's so good. Yeah, great. Oh, let's do that. And because I knew what I was doing already, because I'd gone through the painstaking process on my own and not had to pay anyone to do it or test with anyone or anything, I could straight away do it. And and that then was one of the sort of like leading images from that shoot then. And that came from me trying um, lighting setups and stuff on my own and being able to tweak it and not bore the client to death, you know, um, and 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 it ended up being a great shot. So I like I say, I've put this stuff onto uh, Facebook groups and et cetera. And a lot of people say, oh, I can't stand myself in front of the camera. And what I will say to anyone else who might be saying this on, on their earphones now listening to this, if you can learn to tolerate yourself, I'm not saying, you know, love yourself because that's not what it's about, but it's tolerating yourself enough to go, I'm going to try this light in. And then when I look at it back on my computer, I'm, I'm going to look at the bigger picture. I'm not going to focus in on my insecurities and go, Oh, I hate the way my chin looks in that, or, you yeah. know, my neck or my eye or whatever. Or if you can sort of brush past that and focus on the, the end goal of um, whatever lighting setup you're trying to have a good go at, then you know, the next time, the next time you have a client and you go, I can try that. And, you know, you don't have to spend 20 minutes working it out with them. You, you spent, you've already done that. And it's, yeah. that's where the benefit comes in. So if you can push past that sort of, uh, you know, for some people, that horrible element of seeing yourself on, on what they would say the wrong <laughs> side of the camera, yeah. there's, there's a lot of, of, of benefits there for you. And you don't even need a dedicated space. I mean, it's ideal if you have a garage, for example, or you have a spare room or something where you can set something up. Uh, but even in my case, you know, I have we have an extension to the house, which is just through behind me. Uh, that's my shooting space. That's that's my studio space. And I use it when I'm working. It's set up as a studio. But when I'm not working, it's got a dining table in it. So, you know, it's just a matter of taking stuff, uh, you know, putting stuff up and taking stuff down, which is annoying, but it's completely doable. Yeah, that's that's um, that's very similar to me. So so um, in the previous place that I was living, when we realized that we had to move, um, I spoke to my wife and I said, "Look, I have to keep the photography going because uh, it's quite tough for me as an actor at the moment. Um, it's you know, theatre is still really getting up off its knees because of COVID. Um, so I was like, my photography is my main focus and I need to earn money from it. So if we're moving somewhere, uh, we either need to get, I either need to get a separate studio or we get a two bedroom place and I use the largest room in the space as my dedicated studio. And we agreed that I would uh, pay, pay more because that's fair. Um, so, so at the moment, this, this setup that I have is, is what would have been the lounge 
um in right. in our flat um but it is literally just my studio um and and when i'm not shooting in it it also doubles up as a uh, space to put out the laundry <laughs> <laughs> You know, and I also yeah. use it to do any of my fitness workouts and stuff. You know, I yeah. can roll a mat out on my on the boards where I would shoot people, and I do my fitness workout. So, yeah, um, yeah I, 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 having done this now in a home space for, like I say, just just over two years, I can't stress enough how much it's been a a godsend in many ways to keep up my photography mentally as well, mm-hmm. because primarily being an actor, like my brain is a sort of functions as a creative brain. And, um, I, I, you, you craved, you crave to be creative. So if I didn't have, uh, my photography, <laughs> I'd, I'd be, I would have been going nuts, but, yeah. um, I'm able to be creative and do stuff because I have my home space. And like you say, you're not relying on, you know, uh, your local studio to have availability or even, you know, because I mean, getting a studio in London is very expensive. When I was doing the research for it before we moved to where we were now, like, you know, I think the space that I'm in now is a good size. And if I were to rent this just as a photography space, like in a building somewhere, this would be, I would say minimum eight hundred pound a month. Yeah, you know, or and anything up to a grand and a half a month. Um, you got to clear a lot of clients before you even start to make money. Then, haven't you? Do you know oh, what I mean? Absolutely, so. yeah, absolutely. It's you know, that's the thing. I mean, this is incidentally, this is of course you know maybe for our American um, listeners and viewers, uh, the, the major difference really over here in London is that spaces are really just a lot smaller like you know apartments are smaller rooms are smaller it's very difficult to really find anything that is sort of an equivalent size to let's say even just a regular a regular house you know over in the states so so really space becomes a problem and I'm not necessarily including you know cities like New York City because I know you know New York apartments are tiny too but um, you know and London is it's just it's just a really expensive city. So you know, hiring um, a space just as a studio space is is a killer. I used to, incidentally, uh, you know, years ago, um, I used to run a a private music school, and so for the first five years, we had we hired dedicated buildings with two buildings with like classrooms and a concert hall and a stu- like a recording studio and an office and that sort of thing. Um, and although that had many advantages. It was brilliant. So we could do whatever we wanted. We could be, you know, we could be running band workshops and teach and whatever until, you know, literally 24-7. Nobody cared. <laughs> it's like a light industrial area. So it was, it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, but with that came like a whole carload of, of other responsibilities. Like you've got to keep the building running. You know, you're responsible for everything. Like if the toilet is blocked, you got to call a plumber. You know, if the light's not working, you got to go, go get it fixed. You know, and of course, you've got all the on costs, all the overheads that come with that. And that's an absolute killer. I'm just thinking now that we're in an energy crisis, of course, I remember this goes back. Yeah. This goes back probably, let me see. So about give or take 17 years, something like that is 17 years ago or something is, is when I started that. And I did that for about 11 years or something. And at the very beginning... We paid, I remember our electricity bill was 3,000 pounds for the whole year, right? 
when we left that building and moved into like a service space uh, five years later, our electricity bill had gone up to 10 grand. <sighs> and, you know, and it's just like for a small business, mm. that's major. You yeah. know, it's like you can't just, I don't just have seven extra grand lying around that I can now just throw out the window literally, yeah. you know, for heat. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, but if I think like, you know, what the situation would be now, it would be like now, now that energy prices have gone totally into space, I mean, that's just a complete impossibility for any small business to run anything like that. Yeah. So, you know, working from home has has many, many advantages and costs being just, you know, one of them. You know, it's the creative side. Do you have to have fairly tolerant partners if you're not li- if you're not living on your own? Yeah, you do. <laughs> I think I think so. We're both lucky in that respect. I think. Well, I mean, I mean, I I try and organize um, my sh- uh, shoot schedule uh, as much as I possibly can around my wife because my wife works in theatre as well and she works mm-hmm. on the wardrobe side of things. So, I mean, my my wife's day sometimes can consist from leaving the house at sort of nine o'clock in the morning and, and I won't pick her up until quarter to midnight because that's just a theatre day, you know. Some days, some days she might start at one o'clock, sometimes she might start um, at three o'clock. So she'll always leave an hour before she has to be in. Um, so I make sure that I don't have any morning shoots unless I know in advance that she's going to be in first thing in the morning. Wednesdays, I know she'll more than likely always leave uh, at nine o'clock. So I, if I, if I have to, I'll do a morning shoot. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, you do have to have tolerant, um, you do have to have tolerant partners. My my wife gets annoyed with people leaving stuff. So at the moment, I'm I'm building up a collection of clients leaving stuff. I've got dresses, <laughs> t-shirts, heels, straighteners, right. hairbrushes, you know, all sorts of stuff. And and yeah. my wife's just like, why are they just leaving this stuff? Yeah, makeup brushes. That's what I find. That's a lot of makeup brushes. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> I, in in terms of like, whilst I I do pay extra on the rent for you know, for, for me to have this space dedicated for me and, and, and not for her to use. Um, you know, I'm still very aware that I am living with her and that, um, I, am um, you know, I need to res- respect her as well. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wary and, um, of her schedule and, and try not to sort of, you know, have people traipsing in and out of the, the flat, yeah. You know, when she might want to be relaxing or sure. There's yeah. always like a lot of a lot of compromise, you know, that Definitely, needs to happen yeah. in a in a situation like that. But it's just like in a sense, when I mean, you can call it a downside of having you know, of having a home studio, but actually, you know, I mean if you're lucky enough and you have a dedicated room like a garage or something like that, then it's you know, that makes it makes it a lot easier. Um unfortunately we we have a garage, which sort of would be ideal as a studio, but we decided to uh section it off into like a pantry okay um and actually what it is it's, it's also a storage room for me because i have all my soft boxes and stands and all that kind of stuff that's you know on my shelf so when i do go on like on a location shoot i can just pull uh, stuff out throw it in the car yeah and it's done so there's 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 that as an advantage um but as a consequence there's not a lot a lot of space left to put a studio in there. Also, we just bought a Vespa, so that's on the other side of the wall. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know. So, yeah. Um, but the other thing I think that's that's a great advantage when you're, when you're shooting from home is that you can, you can 
really quite cheaply make up lots of accessories that otherwise you would you would pay a lot of money for. Because I saw your um, basically your V flats, which I think you've made out of. You mentioned it earlier. Was it styrofoam boards? Or yeah. Something? So um, I mean, I have got a story. I'll let you continue. But yeah, they're they're, it's, yeah. they're just styrofoam uh, boards that I bought from. Um, uh, like a department store, uh, not, not a department store, is in like a you know, a uh, 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 where uh, like, like a, a DIY yes, store. Yes, yeah. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was too hard. Uh, but yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, go and say what you were saying. Actually, no, I was going to ask you about these V flats. Well, I mean, for anyone who's listening or watching, if you want to have a laugh at me, you can go onto one of my highlights on my Instagram feed, which is titled "The Journey." Um, so these bad boys, I. They're, they're 2.4 meters long and I bought them and quickly realized when I was walking out of the store that I wouldn't fit onto a train and I wouldn't <laughs> fit onto a bus. I didn't have a car at the time and I also didn't have a van. So there was no option but to walk. The only problem was is that I, <laughs> I had to walk three and a half miles with them. <laughs> oh, shoot. Now, um, they're not heavy. They're not heavy at all. But um, as you can imagine, over three and a half miles and two and a half hours of carrying them, they get pretty heavy, even though they're not heavy. So I remember the okay. first sort of, I set off out of the store. And I was like, oh, I can walk this. I'll be fine. They're not heavy. You know, the first half an hour, it was just on one arm. I was carrying them and it was absolutely fine. Cut to being like literally, you know, a hundred yards away from my house. I could barely carry them for like 10 seconds. So, but yeah, I, these, I bought these because I, I wanted to have like, you know, I'd seen people's work with say gravity backdrops and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, I really, I'd love something like that, but I just can't afford anything like that now. Can yeah. I make this happen on my own? So I, I bought these boards and I bought the paint. I think I spent about a hundred pounds on them in total with, with all the accessories and everything and, um, and the paint and stuff. Um, and, and I, I sort of Googled a couple of uh, videos on YouTube about how to do sort of textured painting and what you should do and everything. And so I painted them and I'm still using them to this day. Like I've, I've got gravity backdrops now I've got zoom backdrops. I've got, you know, clutch studio backdrops. I've got lots of different hand painted canvas backdrops, but I've still used these bad boys as well. Um, and like I say, they, they cost me about a hundred pounds to, to make all in all. Um, and they're great. They're absolutely great. They're well, it's it's well worth it. I mean, again, I come back to your imagery and you know, I love the sort of corners that you create, for instance, you know, where you, you pose your, your models and that's, you know, that's something I want to talk to you um, as well in a second is, is about posing models. But really, you know, I think what's interesting about what you do is, first of all, you know, working with models, that's a really interesting aspect for a lot of photographers, I think, who are maybe, you know, who are maybe not used to working with, with yeah. models, but maybe want to get into it. We'll talk about... Um, how you you know where where you find where do you find models you know to start with <laughs> yeah and and how do you work with them and then of course how how to post them because that's really something that jumped out at me when I look at your imagery is your poses are really awesome mm. um and I know there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of ways that you can research poses what's your favorite way of sort of you know getting inspired when it comes to I well to I actually have a subscription to Vogue magazine um and. My wife laughs at me because sometimes I can like, obviously you get one episode a month, episode one issue a month. And, mm. um, 
sometimes I might go like three or four issues without even reading an article in Vogue. I'm just looking at the pictures and taking inspiration from that. What do I like about it? How is it? Like I'm taking lighting inspiration. I'm taking posing inspiration. Um, and then, and then of course I will read the articles on, on most issues because it's, for example, you can find out what the latest trends are in fashion or what's coming up, what's going to happen. Like, so then you can use that as, as knowledge for your clients to say, Hey, why don't you try this look? This is supposed to be in right now. Um, and all that sort of stuff. So Vogue is, is one of them. Um, and then, you know, advertising boards, um, I look on Instagram at other models and that I follow and go, Oh, that's a really nice pose. Like, you know, um, what do I like about that? And also diverse, um, wise, I, I, I'll look at all different sort of size and shapes of model to try and see and understand, uh, you know, what, what might work with one type of model, but won't work with another type of model yeah. because there's poses that you can do where, you know, it's in your locker as a good a good sort of go-to pose, but it just might not work on certain people. Um so so you go, okay, I can I can sort of tweak that a little bit that way for that person. Um but yeah, so I would say like Vogue, Instagram, advertising boards, um and 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 I have I don't think you'll get it with me, not get it close by anyway, but I have a book that's I think it's like 101 poses um for models and everything and it and it's a really good one actually like which are, yes exactly yeah um, <laughs> and, and it goes through um uh it goes through you know eat crouching standing sat all that sort of stuff and it shows uh. sort of poses or, or placements of arms and stuff and says don't do this because it does this that and that do this because it's yeah. good for this and everything so and i think just for now shooting with with lots of models now and everything and I'm, I'm keeping an eye on what they're doing and and seeing what works well with them and yeah. sort of soaking it up as i go along and actually funnily enough it, it can work the other way as well like i've i've worked with signed models who've done like big campaigns for big brands and stuff and i go oh oh hang on just tweak that there put that there move your foot there do that and they go oh my god that's so good like can i use that and i'm like yeah, of course you can. It's not yeah. my pose. Like that's fine. But yeah. you know, and, and so equally I'm amazed that sometimes like I'll say things that I think are standard kind of like, Oh yeah, everyone does this. And the models are going, Oh, I've never done that before. I've never imposed that before. I really love it. So, um, yeah, I just, I just, I just try and find inspiration for posing wherever I can. Um, and I tell you what I found really useful is Pinterest. Yeah. Actually. Because yeah, you know, Pinterest gives you the ability to search for very particular things. Like for instance, um, I remember I went to, I went to Germany uh, to do a couple of shit yeah. uh, not too long ago, and and so you know all you have to do is like search for a couple poses or something like that on Pinterest, and it comes up with a whole bunch of different ideas, and then you can like organize them into into folders and stuff like that. You know, and so you've got everything there as reference material. Yeah. You know, which I find really quite useful absolutely um, i think it's always good to have this, that reference material yeah absolutely yeah and uh, this book you know because i saw i saw i think i saw one of your videos where you were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. this book um but uh and i just thought hang on a second yeah. I this book. <laughs> yeah. awesome <laughs> but it's a great it's a great starting point it's such a sure. I, like I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of photographers have got that book um but it's such a good one and, and i do like to like 
every now and then I'll just flick through it again. I'll go, because there's so many poses in there. You, there's ones that stand out yeah. and you remember some, you forget some. So it's always good to keep going back and like checking through them. Yeah. And of course, also you like some and you don't like some, you know, it's just one of, it's one of those yeah, things. Yeah, I, I think when it comes to posing, there is, there is a certain amount of uh, personal taste, you know, like there is with lighting or, or setups yeah. and stuff like that. Someone will find a certain lighting setup great and they go, oh, I love that. Like it's so moody and it's, look at the contrast in it, it's great. And then someone will look at it and go, it's too dark for me, you know, and it's the same with posing, like... Yeah. There's, there's something in there for everyone because there's, there's, there's some in there that the book and they go, this is a great pose. And I look at it and go, I, I disagree. <laughs> like in my opinion, <laughs> yeah, I don't course. think that is good, but yeah. So it, you know, of course it's subjective, um, but it's so handy to have. And because there are so many, such a thick book, isn't it? There's, there's, there's yeah. so much to do. And, and even when you've been through it a few times, you can still go back and go, Oh yeah, remember that. I must use that one. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing is I always find this, especially in, um, in in a sort of camera club environment where you have a lot of sort of uh, you know hobbyist amateur uh, photographers who might be very good on the technical, but when it comes to directing and posing a model, um, there's really you know they're really lacking in in that in that respect. And my theory is is that you know because photography is is sort of a, a blend between the technical the science part of it. And then the creative part of it, it's it's really easy to focus on the technical because it's something we can learn quite easily, you know. So I always find that, or often find that, you know, people are very good on the on the lighting techniques, and they don't get their like their three light setups, mm. or their four light setups work, worked out and everything. They know everything about Rembrandt lighting and this and then the other. But then when it comes to actually not only posing a model but also getting an expression out of yeah. the face, that's where you immediately realize either people are scared of that or they just haven't put the same amount of focus on on that aspect yeah of absolutely i think it's it's just something like any of the other elements it's something you need to keep doing and doing and doing and doing until it becomes like almost natural to you but absolutely there's there's so many different kinds of photographers out there when you talk about like the technical aspects and stuff i know and i see plenty of photographers who can like you know make you make you feel like you're listening to some sort of foreign language when they go deep, deep, deep into like technical side. I'm, I'm, I'm not a technical yeah. like person. Like I, I think it's an important sort of part to learn. And like you say, it's having that sort of like that, that, that sort of like uh, merged sort of um, ratio of having enough technical knowledge, but then enough sort of uh, creative knowledge as well. I would say mine's yeah. probably, I don't know, 30 to 40% technical and then the rest creative. Um, but I yeah. know plenty of technical photographers who could talk your ear off about technical and then when you, and they could talk you down as if they, and, and almost be patronizing, especially on the photography groups that we're on. There's always someone that pipes up sure. saying, you know, technical this and technical that and jargon buster and da 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 da. And then I've seen their work and I go, but, it's all very well and good knowing all that technical stuff, but it, you're not really producing great visual work. And at the end of the day, is that not yeah. what photography is? It's the visuals. Well, it's, exactly. I want to see it's the end product that ultimately counts. Nobody cares what aperture you, you use to get that no, exactly, shot yeah. or what, what ISO yeah. setting you had or, or like, you know, what your, what your shutter speed was ultimately because all that matters is the, the end product. And in I the think, end. 
to a certain extent, creativity is something that needs to be within the person. I, I think it can only be taught to a certain extent, whereas technical, you know, over time you can really sort of like, almost like repeat, 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 you know, school yeah. test, school test kind of thing, learn that. But So I have a friend who, uh, she's got a great creative eye. She's got a really great creative eye. Um, her name's, um, I think her her Instagram's like, I am Kat Couture. Um, very, very creative brain. And, and we've had conversations and I'll, and I'll talk to her like about some of the basic stuff of um, technical side. And every time she winces and she's like, oh, you know, I'm not a technical photographer. And I'm like, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. You just think that I'm going to sort of like elaborate even more and I'm not. And, and I always say to her, look, you have got such a creative eye. Don't worry about the technical. Your technical will come. Yeah. You'll, the more you shoot, the better you're going to get on the technical side. But what you've got is is something that cannot be taught. So you know there there's always technical uh, photographers and there's creative photographers. I think there are also the, the the creative photographers, in my opinion, on the like right top end of the creative spectrum, where you go, yeah, you've got a you've got a creative you know mind and everything, and I like your concepts and everything, but like. Do you, do you know the basics of what you're talking about? Create like technically, you. I think there has to be something in you. Again, I will say, and I and I put my hands up and I'll joke and I say, like I probably thirty to forty percent of me knows the technical side of thing. I think you have to have you have to try and at least understand the technical side and show that you rather than just relying on pure like you know blind instinct, if you will. Um, and 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 it does drive me a little bit wild because again I'm not I'm not a technical technical photographer but to, to 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 see some of the photographers out there that are just purely purely creative and not even bothering about the technical side of things you know you say oh this is interesting oh how have you shot that how have you lit that oh I don't know I just did it right okay <laughs> sure you know and uh, yeah that that drives me up the wall a little bit because I'm a little bit annoyed because I go for me showing your a certain amount of technical knowledge, uh, especially for, for clients and stuff. Now you're not going to talk the client's ear off about technical sites because they'll zone out and they'll probably want to go, you know what, just have the money. I'll go. <laughs> um, okay. I think you have to, un you have to stun understand to a certain point what you're doing technically. Um, so I do get a bit annoyed when I see photographers that are like, are literally like, yeah, well I'm creative. So I don't care about the technical side of things. Okay, sure. <laughs> That's how I feel about it anyway. Yeah, just, you know, that's a thing that I come across quite regularly, and that's uh, with A-level photography students. Um, so my, my stepdaughter recently did A-level photography. Um, and then also I've seen, uh, I've seen A-level photography uh, displays as part of the, uh, the local camera clubs that they, they do this evening where they invite A-level students um, to come in and display their work and everything. Um, and the, the thing is, is this is my impression. And this may actually not be true for all A-level photography courses across the country or whatever. But from what I have seen, um, there is a lot of uh, a lot of focus on the creative side. But it appears to me is that the technical isn't being taught rigorously enough so that the end results are 
I mean, it's easy. I mean, to be honest with you, it's easy to create a really crap photograph and then call it creative. Because oh, yeah. you could always get away with that. It's like, oh, yeah, it's just creative. It's, it's, creative, it's, you know? it's almost the equivalent of when people, you know, um, shoot a bad shot and then put it in black and white. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like, oh, yeah, this is just creative. No, it's out, it's out of focus, man. What it is, is you've not nailed it. That's yeah, what it is. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. And I find it, I, I mean, there are a lot of examples. I'm just trying to, yeah, there's, there's like some portrait uh, shots that I've seen where, where quite clearly the attempt was made to create something, you know, something reminiscent of like Rembrandt lighting or something, but it just absolutely, totally, completely, absolutely failed. <laughs> <laughs> and you just go, yeah, that's not. Do you, uh, I, I, I often wonder, because it's interesting, because I've met a lot of um, students who have done like GCSE photography or A-level photography. Um, and weirdly enough, they've come and shot with me. They, they're performers as well and everything. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if because they, if that's the case and they're only focused on the creative side, they're not necessarily, their their images aren't progressing with regards to, you know, being in focus or whatever. Yeah. And that's where that little small bit of technical element needs to come in because it's not going to progress. If you're if you're only trying to be creative, yeah. your, your work's not necessarily going to improve and you're not going to get those shots that are, like that, that 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 technical element will take that creative shot to yeah. the next level. This, I think, the, yeah, exactly. And I think there's there's sort of limitations in that as well because I do know that they teach the the technical side. But I I, I remember you know seeing my my stepdaughter's coursework. It sort of happens right at the beginning of what is effectively a two year course. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then once that box is ticked, then that's sort of being forgotten about. You know, yeah. Um, and it isn't really. I don't think it's driven home the, the way that, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's it's difficult to to compare that. But I remember, you know, when I first got into photography, um, the technical side was important because I need to know how the damn camera works, <laughs> you know. And um, for me, it's always been a matter of um, sort of backwards engineering, you know, other people's images. That may some that may be something that's that's really come from me being a guitarist. Um, and you know, when I was when I was a kid and I was learning how to play the guitar, you know, I'd listen to Jimi Hendrix or Eddie Van Halen or Steve Vai or Wes yeah. Montgomery or whatever, and I'd try to figure out how they did what they did, and I'd take you know a guitar solo by, you know, by Jimi Hendrix, and I'd try to work out how the hell he did <laughs> what he did, you know. And yeah. apart from the fact that half the time you don't really have a clue, but you know, you start to see common elements, you start to figure out. You know what the core voicings are they're using. Um, then you start to figure out what kind of scales they're using and how they use them, what kind of licks they, you know, they use. And and uh, as you sort of backwards engineer more and more and more guitar solos, you then start to realize how they relate to each other. You know, you start to realize how you know Hendrix's soloing, although it was new and exciting and totally different at the time, really has its roots in. You know, in, in blues players that came yeah. a couple of decades before him, and you make those connections, and then yeah. you listen to Eddie Van Halen, and you go, "Ooh, that's that's a blues lick. It's just played ten times faster." <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's you know, and so I think I think that approach lends itself to photography because that's exactly what I did when I first got into photography. Was you know, I used to look at images. Annie Leibovitz is a good example. Or, or Vogue. I mean, yeah. Vogue is generally a good example because photography is yeah. phenomenal. You know, you look at that and you go. How did they do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you go, ah, there must be three lights there, 
and yeah. you start to read the their lighting and you start to you know get to that sort of thing it's always a, it's always a good game to play and i think it was tommy that um that brought it on to me first was like if you're looking at a um uh, you know an advertisement in a magazine or a billboard on the street and whatever like have a look at it and, and try and guess like how many lights have been used in that you know um and and it is a good way of of of, it helps you think about the image and how it was created rather than just going oh that's good i could do that like if you're actually thinking about it then it can help you you know maybe try and produce some some work along the lines of that absolutely and it's it's always it's always it's a great way to to spur on your own creativity you know in in music um, i always say you know, what makes you you ultimately as a musician is basically some of your influences. And I think the same thing is really true. Definitely. You know, as a photographer or as a creative person in general. It's probably the same as an actor because, I mean, this is yeah. the other thing, of course, that I didn't know before I sort of researched um, a little bit you know, before before today. Was I didn't know that you, you're actually not only an actor, but you're like a, you're like a West End performer. I've been, yeah, I've been in the West End, yeah. I was in a, a West End show Um yeah. Um, up until COVID shut everything down. And unfortunately, yeah. the show that I was in uh, didn't continue because by the time everything had opened up again, yeah. it you know, wasn't really as open as everything else. And the, the producers for the show that I was on obviously didn't want to keep the show going. So I lost yeah. my job in that and haven't worked in theatre since because it's, it's difficult to get... Um, it's difficult to get jobs when they're not there. <laughs> you know, there yeah. are theatre jobs and theatre, like I say, is getting back up off its knees. But because of the stuff that I've done in the past, um, there's, there's certain things that I do want to do, there's certain things that I don't want to do. Um, and it makes it harder to get a job on top of it already being quite hard anyway. <laughs> so, right. yeah. Yeah, I've done I've done a few shows in the West End and my my photography functions as my side business although at the moment it's basically my only business right. um, and and the the plan was to um you know and still is is to be able to be doing my acting work at the same time as doing um photography like ideally i'd love to be in a show somewhere uh, in the west end uh, and then in the evenings and during the days be doing a, you know, be shooting clients. That would right. be, that would be a goal right now for me. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's quite interesting. Cause I listened to, um, I listened to a podcast that you were on, um, it's all about the voice, which yes. is, <laughs> which is, which is actually uh, super interesting because, um, you know, obviously I, I have a, a background in music yeah um, of course and I've worked with many, many singers. I'm a guitarist, you know, and I, I don't sing for the benefit of mankind, as they say. <laughs> Although, I have to admit, I do howl along in the car once in a while. Yeah, but that's the best place to do it. Oh, well, exactly. Right. Um, but uh, but I've worked with many, many, many singers, you know, as a, you know, um, either as a, on the writing side or, um, or on the performing side. And so, um, and so I found it, I found it really quite fascinating because you were, you were talking about, uh, you know, vocal technique and, um, and, you know, how to warm up your voice and yeah. knowing your voice and, and stuff like that. And this is really, like, really, this takes me back into, you know, into twenty five years of my life that I spent working, yeah, you know, working with with vocalists. But yeah, it's a very very interesting, very interesting podcast. Yeah. So yeah, it was great to to find out that um, that side of. It. I also also know that you used to be Gary Barlow. 
Yes, I did. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, it's quite funny because from when I was maybe 13 or so, like everyone always used to say, wow, you, you really look like Robbie Williams. You might not see it now because I have the beard and everything, but I've, I've had yeah. it for most of my life. And even when I met my wife, like I told her about that and she was like rolling her eyes going, oh, yeah, you just wish you were Robbie Williams, whatever, you don't look like him. But actually like uh, about four or five times since we've been together, we've been, been together nearly uh, 10 years now. Um, we've been like, sat in a random restaurant or something and someone's come up to me and asked me for my autograph because they thought I was Robbie Williams. <laughs> and I'm I'm going to my wife, see? And she's like, oh, right, fine, sort of thing. But and but but funnily enough, yes, when I was in uh, the show Never Forget, which was a Take That musical, I played what was the Gary Barlow part. So yeah. I had to dye my hair blonde and everything. That's a prime example of miscasting. That's... <laughs> yeah, well, well, well. I mean, I wasn't complaining because I was the lead of the show, oh, and that's something absolutely. as as an actor that I'd always, always wanted to do, and was a massive aim for me. So yeah. to be able to do that, yeah, I was, I was a bit um, um, surprised when they did say, "Oh yeah, we're seeing you for the Gary Barlow role." I was like, "Oh, sure, you don't want to see me for Robert Williams' role?" <laughs> no, Gary Barlow. All right then, <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know what's really interesting about this is because you, you know, you being an actor and knowing the acting world uh, really I think gives you a, a great or puts you in a great position uh, to produce headshots for you know for actors yeah definitely and uh, you know for people in the in the acting industry because because you've as an actor presumably uh, you've had you know many interactions and a lot of experience with casting directors for example or with agents and stuff like that yeah yeah it it, it is an advantage um and, and funnily enough, I was talking to um, a couple of photographers at the photo uh, photography show about headshots because there's so many different kinds of headshots. Mm. You know, um, I, I've met people who've gone, oh, yeah, I'm a headshot photographer as well. And I see their shots and their business style headshots. And now if you shot an actor's headshot in the same way that you shoot a business headshot, that wouldn't be classed as a good headshot. That's not mm. to say that that business headshot in the in the business world isn't good because it is because that's what it's for and that's how it's supposed to look but it, it it's not the kind of um it's not the kind of uh thing you would uh you would you know see for the act act actors headshots basically like even the difference between you know um for an actor's headshots you're more than like you're not really gonna shoot at say you know fa or f7.1 whereas on a business shot you can do, but the idea for the actor's headshot is that you're going to be shooting at a much wider aperture. Your focus is on their eyes because that's the person. That's the person. That's what we're focusing in on, and you want everything else sort of like blurred out in the background, um, because that's what it's about. The actor's headshot is about the actor, and you don't really want it to be about anything else. Like, and don't want too many distractions in the background really so there's there's much there's uh, a much sort of bigger difference between all the different kind of headshots um and even then as well now in in the headshot world at the moment like say i should say the headshot world within for actors and, and theater and stuff it's starting to so there was a while when actors headshots was black and white 10 by 8 bank you know and then it became very sort of like Amer the american style came across like from like la and stuff where it's color and and agents and actors agents were like oh we're not sure about this color we don't like this color now color's just standard 
Um, and what the little shift is happening now is is becoming very more the headshots in the in the acting world is becoming very more portraity. So you know, whereas mm-hmm. before it'd be very much sort of like you know, pose, chin up, chin down, tilt your head, like give me something a little bit more neutral and stern. Now give me a big smile. Like everything's um, now very like sort of it's like we're we're sort of we're coming further out. So we're seeing more of the torso, a little bit of lower leg. Like they're sat in a chair and they're doing all this sort of like posing and playing with shirts, and it's becoming mm-hmm. a bit more portraity. Um, and at first that was sort of like people like, oh, I don't really like it. I don't think it's just get the normal headshots. Like, but now you, it's creeping in more and more to like, if, if you imagine a lot of the headshot photographers in uh, London right now, um, it's creeping into a lot uh, more of uh, other photographers work, you know, and, and, and photographers that were already established are now sort of going, yeah. okay, I'm going to dedicate a, se- a section of my uh, session to doing that sort of style. And then I'll go back to the usual stuff as well. So it's, but it, yeah, be, being an actor definitely does give you a, a slight advantage because you've got a more of an idea of what the casting director will know. Even, even having the advantage that I have, like when I was um, shooting earlier on, like you would get a lot of feedback from actors agents saying, um, we like this one, but it's a little bit too dark in the background you know, and you'd get a lot of feedback like that and stuff and everything. Yeah. So there's there's a certain amount of scope where you can be creative with it, but, you know, you don't want anything that's too too creative because then the agents get, like, you know, fussy about it. Do you remember when um, when Peter Hurley first sort of crashed on the scene? Yeah. You know, that was a completely different, it was landscape, you know, it was completely, it was a, it was a totally different yeah, exactly. type of look. And it was like, you know, the top of the head was missing. And you know, I remember people people used to go, the top of the head is missing. Yeah. And then, you know, but the argument was like, well, but we all know it's there, so what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, it took a it took a while. Um do you do you find that there's uh, sort of a definitive difference between, let's say, um a typical actor's headshot in New York, for example? And London, yeah, I, I would, I would say there's different sort of styles between um, America and and um, London, but they are starting to bleed together now. Like, yeah. uh, and and a lot of it's encouraged by, you know, the the glamorous side of things in in um, in America. Like, is is definitely bleeding into like the sort of headshots that uh, are in London now. Uh, and, and if anything, it's 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 bled. It's there. It's in. Sure. It's in the system. Um, it, it all. It also all depends on like what sort of um, discipline, in a way, your headshots are for. Like there, there's a difference in, say, for example, a headshot for a musical theatre performer and a headshot sure. for a, a straight theatre performer, like that just does plays and stuff. And then TV actors, you know, there's, there's even within the acting world and, and performers world, there's, there's different sort of slight variations and genres of different styles of headshots that you have to try and create for them. Um, and, 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 and you have to try and incorporate that into your headshot sessions. If I'm doing a headshot session uh, with a client and I'll say to them, usually in sort of, before the shoot and in sort of contact before I say like, you know, what kind of castings are you aiming for? What kind of parts are you aiming for? Or are you just 
you know, generally like, oh, I'm happy to be in the chorus in a show, you know, therefore you can just get generalized kind of like standard industry style headshots. But if you're getting someone who goes, well, I want to do, you know, I could be up for, um, you know, straight theater. I could be up for musical theater. I, you know, I could be up for a BBC drama somewhere. Then you're going to, you're going to have to try and get certain, you're going to have to cover those genres basically. Like, you know, your TV ones, especially if they want to be up for some sort of a gritty BBC drama, you know, you want to be, giving them sort of like more moodier lighting and stuff as opposed to them being in musical theater it's going to be all sort of like big smiles and bright lighting and you know yeah um but yeah i'm going back on what i said now but the problem i guess maybe the the difference between sort of america and london or new york and london is 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 really sort of almost merged together now um and who knows, even maybe like there's some influence that's coming in from London and going across over to America. Like I say, this this new sort of portraity style is is really sort of like starting to take its hold now. And I must admit, when I first saw it, I was a little bit like, sure. it's a portrait. It's not a headshot. I like what it, you, but, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's exactly the, I think that's the reaction I had the first time I saw some of Ivan Weiss's um, work, for example, which is painterly portrait is what, what I would call yeah. it. But I can, but I was strangely drawn to the style. I mean, it just looks great. And so I can completely see how, how it could work. From an acting perspective, I always thought like, well, actually it does bring out a lot more personality in, in a way, or, or it has the opportunity to bring out more personality. Um, because, you know, I would say I, I shoot a lot of, kind of Peter Hurley style close-up kind of headshots. Yeah. Um, predominantly because they work really well in the business world. That's definitely something that's happened in, in the world of business headshots. Yeah, of course. Is that that style has really, you know, come in. Okay. Um, and it's, you know, it's immediately, it's immediately attractive, especially on dark backgrounds. I can't tell you. I, you know, I, when I go through like the standard backgrounds, like the standard choices, you know, like, like blown out white backgrounds, yeah. then I go for something more moodier. Yeah. I'll tell you the clients will always, always pick the dark backgrounds. Always. Yeah. That's like for you know, for business clients. Um that's just what it's probably the better option of the two sort of like, you know, what you would call um standard backgrounds, isn't it? If you get in the dark yeah. one, at least it, it adds something to it. Whereas the sort of whites you, they don't want to feel like they're sat in a snappy snaps, you know, getting well, a passport taken. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so that's that's what it's all about—the expression. Because the advantage—I mean, there are advantages with a white background. Yeah, of course. For instance, you know, especially for a business portrait, um, if they are, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be on websites, for example. So usually the website background is usually white, so it blends in quite well. Works great for LinkedIn and all yeah, that of kind course. of the, all that kind of stuff. So they're very different considerations from, for instance, you know, shooting more portrait style kind of you know headshots uh, for actors, which is which is again you know something I really like about your style. Um, you know, that's that's really something that comes across. That I say what one thing I've noticed, um, one major difference um I've noticed between so a lot of London based headshot photographers and a lot of uh, photographers in the US is that a lot of uh photographers in London have a tendency to shoot headshots outdoors. Yeah. And my theory is it's because space space is so expensive in London that it's yeah. just a much cheaper thing to do. You, know, you just go outside and shoot the the, park. the outdoor thing. Actually, has been has been something that's been on and off trends like over 
as far as I can remember, 20 years, because I remember having, mm. um, I remember having the first shots that I had done after graduating from my training. Um, sorry, it was the second shot. So it's maybe about two years after I'd graduated from my training. And I went yeah. to a photographer who was just like, I shot in front of a bush in a back garden. Um, and that and that was a trend for a while to have like some sort of a leafy background, you know, and then it yeah. disappeared. And then another photographer did it again. And, you know, everyone was like, oh, it's a new style. But it it was the same style. It was just because it hadn't been around for a while. And of course, the shiny object attracts the bird. So yeah. same same style, different bush. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's re- recently um, it was recently come come back again a few years ago and then went away. And, and a lot of um, headshot photographers I know, um, and it's mainly because like you say, like spaces and the cost of them. Um, but yeah. you get a lot of um, photographers that will find a tunnel somewhere in their local area and they go, I'll shoot through the tunnel. And then, yeah. and what is funny also is like, I'll have we'll have, on these photography groups, I'll go, um, you'll see someone on post. I can't believe someone has used my tunnel. And you're like, well, it's not yeah. your tunnel. You're not paying rent. You don't <laughs> yeah. own it. it. Unfortunately, shooting in a public space means that anyone can shoot there or anyone can do anything yeah. there sort of thing. Um, yeah. uh, I haven't shot any outdoor headshots for a while just because where I am at the moment, there's nothing sort of any of any interest to have an outdoor portrait, but, um, and it's much easier it's less hassle carrying all your equipment yeah. outside and stuff and everything. Cause, cause when I do do it, I will shoot with like one light and an octobox or something rather than you know, yeah, just exactly. shooting the natural light with a reflector. It's the only thing that I have literally around, you know, within like 10 yards for me, it's a brick wall. And, uh, many years ago I've wrote, I've wrote a blog about, um, the top 10 band photo cliches. And the number one cliche there was the brick wall photo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, so you know, I can't bring myself to shoot any edge of the photo brick wall. <laughs> because, like, when you're learning, um, because, I, yeah, I've been there. I've done brick wall shots. I, actually, there is a really interesting wall. Uh, when I was uh, doing a show in Aberdeen, just outside the right. stage door, there's a there's a wall. It's like an underpass, but it's it's almost got like a, a glimmer and shimmer to the rocks. Um, of, the, of the bricks and stuff, because I was imagining in in Scotland it's quite um, like it's all stone rocks rather than actual you know yeah. well well nice made bricks. Um, yeah. But yeah, like when I started out, I did shots in front of the wall. I you know we all use walls, and I wonder if it's just because of some of the material that you look at that's aimed at beginners like that and people who are just picking up their. Uh, yeah. cameras like a lot of that stuff is like find a wall shooting a wall so like yeah it's the kind of like go-to thing and you you event- you eventually graduate from that and like you say you go i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> yeah that's i tell you what there's um there's one location that i use virtually every year and that's right outside of the high wickham uh swan theater okay yeah i don't know if you know it mm-hmm. as a performer yeah um yeah so every year I shoot a Battle of the Bands competition there, and um, as part of the as part of the the prize, basically all bands that take part or that make it to the final, which is usually anywhere between ten and twelve bands, they all get a photo shoot as part of as part of making it to the final. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, I've sort of you know I've been doing this now for eight years or something. So I, you know I'm constantly scouting out different locations in and around the theater, and the whole yeah. place is built from bricks. Uh, which is, you know, which features in, in every photo shoot at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so you always, you know, yeah. so I'm, I'm breaking my own rules, but hey. 
I think if you need to sometimes, and I think I think sometimes when you're in situations like that, if you can find a background that has a little bit of interest to take away from maybe if you're shooting with, uh, like you say, like Battle of the Bands, like, and they might not be comfortable in front of the camera, um, so they might not be giving the most interesting uh, of looks. Sometimes adding that background element just helps up the the photograph, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. And you'll find that you have some, some bands who are really completely comfortable, you know, with themselves in front of the camera, and they really give you everything that you need them to give you, you know, all the expressions and everything. And you always have, you know, you only have like a, a very limited amount of time for each mm. band because you've got to get through like 12 bands yeah. in the morning, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, you really get, I mean, 20 minutes tops with each with each band if you're lucky, probably less than that. Um, so you got to, you know, take them to the location, you know, instruct them, give them directions, and then, you know, and then shoot them and, you know, and get some, a little bit of variety in the imagery as well. So what I tend to do there is I normally pick two locations per band yeah. And so one might be an indoor location, the other one might be an outdoor location. And of course, if it's raining on a given day, then a lot of it's happening indoors. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a stressy thing, but it is fun. It also like it teaches you how to direct people really yeah. quickly. You know, that's that's the other thing. That's um that's actually uh, we talked about directing um, models and stuff earlier. There's one thing I want to um to come back to because um I know that you know when when people first start out. Especially in portraiture, of course. Well, if you if you want to shoot, if you want to get better at shooting humans, you need to get some humans in front of your camera. <laughs> yeah, you know that's the thing. And so, you know, I think everybody starts out with, you know, in the beginning, you shoot your friends and people you know, you know, maybe your wife and your daughter. My kids can attest to that. <laughs> um, and then there's sort of a point I think where you know you might be looking at uh, at working with some more some more professional models. So what did you do initially to to um, work with models, particularly? Um, I think, well, I mean, being being a performer is is quite a good sort of segue into it because you get sure. you can get actors and dancers and stuff that are aware of their bodies. Sure. Um, so that really helps. Uh, I'm I'm. I'm... I, I chose people at the start of when I was shooting that knew what they were doing. So in a way that they were kind of doing it for me, but I was, yeah. I was learning and watching them and, and, and getting comfortable with them and, and, and trying it out. What I would say to is, you know, anyone looking to eventually shoot with models, obviously if you've got, if you've gone through the stage of shooting family members and, and, and friends and stuff like that is, is maybe to go, go to, um, you know, there's, there's all sorts of modeling websites and stuff where you can find people who are willing to do, um, you know, TFP, or maybe they have like lower um, rates per hour. Um, but it can really help to shoot with people who've been in front of the camera and know what they're doing in front of the camera as a as a model, rather than just a family mm. member that's being told to sit there and <laughs> against their will and, yeah. and shoot with them. Um, so TF, TFP, just for, for those listeners and viewers who don't know what that means, TFP stands for time for print. So it's basically a barter arrangement, yeah. uh, arrangement where you basically say like, right, I, you know, I give you, you give me your time as a, as a model in front of the camera. And then therefore I give you the prints. Of course, nowadays we're talking digital yeah. copies. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, if you can if you can get someone in front of the camera that uh, that knows what they're doing and is comfortable in front of the camera, that can really help. Um, and and 
you know, even even if you get someone in, even if it is, and you're still not ready to take that leap uh, of of uh, shooting, you know, um, with a model and stuff, like try and find another friend that might be a little bit more, and just experiment with stuff. Like, even if it's like going, you know, get this book that we both got with all the poses in and going, right, let's go through all this. Let's try it. Let's see what works good. Um, then that's, that's, a, that's a good start past the sort of like, okay, sit in front of the camera and I'm going to try and get my lighting right. Great. Um, and, and, and it's just trying to find people that are willing to come in front of the camera for you model wise, um, knowing that you might not be experienced with working with models, um, you know, and, and just seeing if you can, if you can sort of, what am I trying to say? I think I'm I'm having thoughts because there's a lot of options of doing this and everything. But I think yeah. I think getting someone who's willing to come in front of the camera for you and, and be able to pose and try things out. And even if you get someone, if you can get someone who's a signed model with a modeling agency and stuff, then you know who's really experienced, then you're great because you can learn from shooting with them. Sometimes, and I think I said this earlier, like you can pick up stuff off models and go, oh, I really like that pose. I'm going to use it. Yeah. It might not even be a full pose. It might just be a certain hand placement and stuff. And you go, ah, that might be the key to, I've tried this pose with other people before and I've never quite known where to put the hand. That's where it goes, yeah. you know? Um, and, and as I sort of progressed, I've started to build relationships with modeling agencies where I go, Hey, um, you know, um, I'm looking to try out some new stuff stuff with lighting or I've got some new equipment that I want to play for. Have you got any models at the moment that are testing? Um, which is, again, is, is basically TFP. Um, and, and they will send me a package over then via, um, an email yeah. link that goes to the website and say, these are the models we've got at the moment. Uh, there, let me know which ones you like, and then we'll work out. We'll, I'll let you know the availability of each one. You'll find that there's more sort of obviously um, higher end modeling agencies. So even the sort of like lesser, exp the ones that will be testing are the ones that need new, um, you know, content, new new images and stuff. So you're not even if you go to a high high top end agency, you're not going to be able to go to their top top models who'd be modeling for like Gucci or you know Versace or anything like that. You realistically you're not going to get them. But you find as you go sort of as I've as I've progressed sort of further up to higher sort of bigger agencies, that the that the ones who are available to test get better and better. Um, but there's, there's just approach anything like find a local see if there's any local agencies or anything like that where um, where they might have any models testing. Like I say, you can go on to uh, websites like Model, uh, Model Mayhem or Purple Paw or, you know, there's always there's always someone out there who's a mo model-wise who's willing to get new images and, and willing to try stuff out. Um, mm. And I say that to models as well. I say, go and hook up with some photographers. Sometimes it's not necessarily about if the image looks good for you as a model. It's about you trying out different poses and stuff. Um, mm. I, I, I kind of live under the philosophy of don't ask, don't get. So, you know, whereas it might be easy for me to just go, oh yeah, just go and just approach a modeling agency. <laughs> like I understand that people might not necessarily... Uh, maybe have confidence in the work to go and do that. So um, depending on where you are, like in, in London, there's so many 
performing arts colleges and stuff. And there's always, you know, uh, performers and stuff who are willing to maybe go and do a shoot with you because it's fun for them and everything. And they'll get some, um, they'll yes. get some images out of it. What I will say is, is when you are shooting, like you know, with a proper camera and not an iPhone, if you're producing half a decent image on a on a DSLR or a mirrorless. Joe Public are just going to love it anyway because it's a leap up from an iPhone picture. Hmm. As good as the iPhones and stuff are now, it's a leap up. So if you have that lack of uh, of confidence in your work, just know that even if you shoot a half-decent shot to your standards, Joe Public are going to love that because it's not an iPhone hmm. picture. It's all already better. So um, I don't know. T- to be honest, like I've got so far along now of, of working in approaching people and stuff like that yeah that's sorry that's another good way of doing it actually is go on to instagram and, and approach models like for example like see uh, go onto another photographer's feed and and see you know research the models that they've shot with and um maybe follow them uh like get an idea of the work and maybe even approach them and say hey um I love your work. Would you be willing to come and shoot with me? Feel free to check out my work on Instagram. Um, the worst they could say is no. And that's why I say don't ask, don't get. Like yeah. if, You're never going to get to bump yourself up to that sort of next level of shooting models if you're not willing yeah. to put yourself out there. And that might mean if, if some rejections of, of models saying no to you before one finally says yes, and then that's that's yeah. that's where you're winning. See, I think that's that's a really good piece of advice because you know the the performance like performance arts industries like the acting industry as as much as the music industry is really based on rejection yeah and i think you know as an actor and as a musician i mean you know i know and i know you know that rejection is just your daily yeah. bread and butter it's like you get rejected for this audition and mm. that job and you know and eventually the more the more often you put yourself forward and the more often you try you know, at some point, something Definitely. is going to come back your way. You know, that's that's the thing. And I think you're right, actually, because for for most people who are not used to that level of rejection, that could be quite quite a difficult thing to deal with. But the reality is, if you ask 20 models and one says yes, and you've won, yeah. perfect. Yeah. You've just, yeah, you've just sent, you know, all you had to do really was send 20, I don't know, Instagram messages or emails or, or whatever. And that's yeah. pretty much it. You know. It is a good way of doing it. Like, I mean, anyone listening, feel free to have a look on my my uh, Instagram feed and and um, see if you can find. I've, I've shot with all sorts of levels of models and stuff in terms of wh- right. where they are in their uh, career, um, and you'll you'll find you'll find someone. You'll definitely find someone. Like, there's just no way that that you're going to ask a million people and every single one of them is going to say no. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now. What would be like your top tips for working with with a professional model? Because that's very different from working with, you know, a member of the public. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, okay, good. Um I I personally like to have a discussion with them before about talking about our outfits, um, you know, asking for their input, what sort of stuff would they maybe like want to try? Um, so I always think uh, and a good idea as well of of knowing what outfits they're going to be wearing, uh, because personally for me, uh, from from experience, when some people show up and you've got no clue what they're going to wear, 
um, I'd rather know rather than going on the date, okay, I'll make this work. Because sometimes some people and some models turn up with some awful outfits and you're just like, oh, right, let's strike. Let's say, for example, typically in a two-hour shoot for me, uh, I'll maybe shoot anywhere from four to six outfits. Um, if they've already right. brought three that aren't that great, I'm like, well, we've only really got three outfits now. That's not much of a shoot sort of thing. So discussion before is a good one. Um, I think, I mean, in my experience, most of the signed models that I've worked with have been absolutely lovely. So, and they might set, do you know what? Like if, if it's going to be your first time of working with a professional model, if they've agreed to come and shoot you, there's an element of your work that they're already liking. So don't stress yeah. <laughs> and, and let them know, just say, you know, I've got to be honest, I am a little bit nervous. This is the first time I've, I've shot with someone who's a signed professional model. Um, so, you know, jokingly, go easy on me sort of thing. And most of them are there to like, yeah. they'll, they'll, they'll maybe sense that, you know, if you haven't told them that you're maybe sort of like not as experienced. So they'll just go ahead. One other tip is to just constant communication with them, you know, reassure them they'll probably know that they're going to do a good job because they've worked and they know their work and they know they're good, but reassuring them during the shoot with communication of just saying, yeah, this is great. You know, and just every now and then let them know. Cause the worst thing for models is to be in front of the camera posing away, probably doing the stuff that they'd usually do their go-to poses and stuff and et cetera. And you're just there just going. Cause in their heads, they're going, is, yeah. is that good? Am I, is this okay for you? Like, they, they probably have that, they need those reassurances just in the same way that you do as a photographer. So another good tip is to like right. constantly, um, sorry, I'm looking over at my my shooting area now where I shoot and I'm picturing people there like they're not there. <laughs> um, yeah, that communication of just letting them know that the image is looking good and what they're doing is good for you um, is great. Yeah. Uh, on a, on a, on a funny side, I have seen videos and reels of photographers who like overly, um, communicate and like literally every shot is like, yes, great. Fantastic. Fabulous. Wicked. Love that. Great. And then that's a little yeah. bit like, oh yeah, it it's is. Awesome powers. It's, and it's overly stimulating for the model because then like, <laughs> I, uh, they don't, they don't know what's going on, but yeah, definitely pre-communication yeah. during the shoot, you know, letting them know that you are you know, you're not as experienced with shooting someone of, 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 of like their level um, communication during the shoot. Yeah. And, a, and a big one for me, no matter whether you're shooting someone who's not uh, a signed model or you're shooting someone who is a signed model, music. Having music on in the studio, um, yeah. it just helps. And, and what I do personally is from my experience, rather than putting on something that I like and going, hey, yeah, because it's not for me to enjoy. I'm concentrating on what I'm doing shooting ask the client what they want to listen to, whether it be their favorite artist or their guilty pleasure. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to add any no nos for them. So for me, I always say to clients because I'm in musical theater, I don't want to, I don't really want to listen to musical theater. So I say no to that. And for me, I say like anything like screaming death rock metal, um, not because I don't necessarily like it, but I think that that's really full on. Like when you're having a, sh you know, so I just say, as long yeah, as it's yeah. none of those things, play whatever you want, you know, uh, and you're going to find them in their comfort zone then because, you know, that familiar sounds there for them. So it's yeah. going to help relax. It's going to break down walls. Um, and, 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 and also yeah. you get, you, you get to hear of new artists and people that you wouldn't have necessarily heard of before and you get to enjoy them. Um, yeah. 
and then and you know what a good dad joke doesn't 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 hurt anyone <laughs> so having that well, sort of like having those little bits of jokes and stuff whether they laugh at you or with you yeah. doesn't matter they're laughing so you're gonna you're gonna relax them see that's a great tip for me because you know according to my youngest daughter Listen, I am the dad king jokes of dad are a jokes. skill and anyone who mocks them doesn't <laughs> exactly. know because my wife you know takes the mic at me all the time for dad jokes but when she attempts them they're not like so dad jokes are funny because they're rubbish funny they're not bad, bad jokes, like out of bad taste. And my wife attempts it all the time and she's rubbish. And I go, stop taking the mick out of me because you can't do right. it. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to explain to my youngest daughter all the time. Definitely. It's like saying, Cara, there's a skill to this. You know, yeah. That, that you just don't understand. It. But yeah, That's definitely right. a good joke. And, and just having <laughs> having chat with them, you know, like, uh, you know, if, if you're if you're sort of worried about the shooting element in it, of it and everything, like, um, ask what's the late what are they what are they watching at the moment on Netflix what podcasts are they listening to you know did they listen to this the latest episode of the Camera Shape podcast um, yeah exactly and, and if not all why not? little bits like that That's you know the what's their favourite music which is going to come in with the playing the music element anyway but yeah just try and you know, even if you want even if you have a, like a little list that they can't see that you can go right okay here's some subjects I can talk about because you'll also right. find as a photographer if you're starting out uh, the first time of shooting uh, proper models and stuff, you need to be, re- you need to relax yourself as well. So having those topic of conversations helps relax you as well, because you're yeah. forgetting, you're going, Oh my God, I'm so nervous because I'm shooting a professional model. Like you're going, yeah, I love stranger things last night. Have you seen the latest series? You know, so. I thought, yes, you're absolutely right. I th- that's what I find out as a great icebreaker, like TV shows, you know, whether it's like Game yep. of Thrones, you know, Stranger Things, anything like that always, always works. There is, it's, I find it relatively easy to find like a common sort of, yeah, yeah. what do you call it? A common denominator in that respect, you know. Um, it's always, it's always disappointing when I go, <laughs> I don't watch TV. There's no TVs in my house. <laughs> uh, do you not really? But, but you know, but the thing yeah, is yeah. like, oh, really? Why not? You know, you, you totally get into that because that in itself is interesting. So yeah, do you know? Um, I've always found that making conversation part in, yeah. in the very beginning. I found that very difficult, um, and I found that difficult as a performer because you know my, my for the longest time my background was you know I'm a guitarist. Either I'm in the studio yeah. where I don't have to face anybody, um, or when I when I perform live as part of a band, for example, I'm sort of part of the band, so I can you know sure. I can melt into the background. And you just step forward when it's time for the yeah, guitar yeah. solo for eight bars or sixteen bars, and yeah. then I melt back into it, disappear in the background, and I leave all of the the, yeah. the audience communication part to the lead singer, right? Which is why I've always loved working with really great stage performers and lead singers because you know because they can really get the audience, manipulate the audience, and get the audience to do whatever they want them to do, which is fantastic, you know, to have that control. And I've always found. I've always thought that, that that's not me. That's I'm like, I'm happy with just, you know, playing guitar, hanging out with the rhythm section, you know, and that kind of thing. That was until I started um, performing okay. as, as an acoustic solo performer where I was playing acoustic guitar. Um, and because I don't sing, yeah. it's all it was all in- instrumental music, basically. Um, but the, the problem was, was that um, virtually every piece I'd play would be in a different tuning. So I'd have to retune my guitar after every after every song 
And of course, then there's a minute, minute and a half where I'm retuning, mm. and of course, the audience <laughs> yeah. are just looking at me. And a minute guitar, and a half is a long time when there's not, not much sing. going on, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, and so over time, I kind of figured, well, okay, I'm going to have to do something. I have to talk to the audience somehow, you know. And um, and I came up with loads of different strategies. You know, at first I thought like, oh, what if I tell a joke? You can't think of jokes. <laughs> but when you're nervous, you know, anyway, you can't think of jokes. Yeah, and yeah. also you start with, with a punchline and you go, oh, God. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of thought I, I treated like an acting job and I just learned lines. And I basically yeah. memorized all the stuff I, I talk about. That also didn't work because, again, I was nervous and I'd forget my lines. So that didn't work. <laughs> and so, you know, eventually I figured that what worked for me the best was actually if I just talked to, I basically, I just sort of singled in into one person in the audience. And by sort of pretending to talk to that person, it would make the yeah, rest yeah. of the audience feel like I'd be talking to all of them. And then, and then, you know, it was just like, it was just about like having a conversation with that person and telling what was going on in my life. And my daughter was actually, she was, she was a newborn at the time. And it was a lot of stuff that was happening. And, you know, and so, and what, you know, what worked for me was, in order for me, to, in order to get over my nerves, yeah. um, I basically developed acting skills, you know, and so I acted my way out of, out of that, and I, I still do that every time I do any public speaking, anytime I give a talk, you know, anytime I talk to anybody on, you know, on an interview or whatever, um, and anybody, anytime I work with a client, I'm actually, I'm sort of almost like putting on absolutely a confident yeah, yeah. act. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's sort of like, it's almost like a split personality because uh, I don't really feel that, that confident personally. But just doing it like that just allows me to actually get the best out of the client because they feel at ease because even if they are not that confident, if you're working with somebody who is, then that can can put you at ease because you kind of feel like, okay, well, everything's under yeah, control. They obviously know what they're doing. You know? It is a good way to and, just go back to what you said, actually. Yeah, so, I know you said you forgot your lines, but like if, if you're... Yeah. You know, if you're so nervous on your um, shoot with your first time professional, uh, your first time on a shoot with a professional model, sorry, you know, like say, have it, memorize it, like go, okay, what things should I talk about? Okay, I'm going to talk about what what show are they watching? What's their favorite food? Like give yourself a set thing, a set up sort of like list of things to say per shoot. And eventually it all just, you, you'd start doing it naturally and you, and you know, and, and the, and the talk sort of progresses on from there. Um, it, you just got to help yourself yeah. out basically. And like you say, okay, I can't think of anything on the spot because I'm panicking, set something for me to, you know, set something for me to, to, to say, and, and it'll help massively. Yeah. Excellent. Well, there's some awesome tips there uh, for anybody who's listening and who's maybe thinking about, you know, uh, working with, with professional models. There's a whole bunch of like really useful uh, tips in there that can only make you a better photographer. Because actually, I think, you know, working working with people in general is, is very much down to your communication skills as much as your skills, are, you know, using, using the camera. And, it's, you know, that's very often forgotten. And, you know, just coming back to something we talked about early on, um, you know, this is what I see a lot in, in like camera club settings, you know, where people are really good on the technical side, mm. but they really don't understand the communication part, you know, so all of a sudden you're in front of, you're in front of a model and you kind of go, oh, but, uh, how do I yeah. direct them to do this? I, I think, um, you know, that's, that's quite tricky. in all honesty, this sounds so 
simple, but just just talk to them. Like they're there because they need, they want to be directed and they're ready to take the direction. Yeah. So you don't need to sort of approach it going, um, can you, can you, can you just lift? Um, is it okay if you lift your, like, just say, yeah, take your hand up there. And, and like, yeah. again, with the lines thing, like give yourself, like have a sheet by you of, of like, or, or things ready on your phone. Like you've said, you do a, a, um, a Pinterest board. Like have things there readily available for you to um have. Yeah. Like I, I had today, like the client that I was shooting today, they'd given me some they'd given me a Pinterest mood board and it was they they it was a couple shoot um for like they were two singers and they wanted uh, they she said, Oh, here's my references. So I was taking um, you know, I'd I'd got halfway through the shoot and I was like, Oh, I'm sure she sent me more sort of stuff. So I'm gonna check back to the phone and I was looking, I was like, Okay, right. Took it on board and then I sort of like you know, adapt, not adapted it as necessarily to make it better, but I've gone, okay, I don't want to do a carbon copy of that pose, but I want to do something along the line. So yeah, having that, like having that check back of, of some poses and stuff, have that book open and ready, look at it and go, Oh, I want to do. And do you know what? Like, I, I just, I don't think any models be going, Oh, well, they're just going to be getting poses out of a book. Like I don't want that. No model's going to be thinking that like, yeah. so it's not, it's not the worst thing to like check back on a book and just go, Oh, it would be honest with them. Just say, hang on. You know, my mind's drying up a minute. Just give me a second. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grab a little bit of inspiration, yeah. pose inspiration. Um, they're not going to be bothered about that. It gives them a minute to sort of like, you know, sort themselves out or whatever, or adjust and everything. Yeah. And you're having a look. Um, there's just lots of ways you can help yourself out. You don't have to have yourself in a, you know, where you have all the answers in your head. Like even yeah. I have to be honest, like in all the shoots that I've done over the last, you know, few years, like there are moments in shoots where you go, uh, I'm just having a brain freeze at the moment. Like I can't think of anything. So I will go back to my phone and go, How, what inspiration have I given myself? Check my phone. Okay, we're good. And then you're off and rolling again. Yeah. So you know, if it, if it's any consolation to anyone who's out there, like worrying that they're not going to know what they're doing during a shoot, or if they're blanking, like it happens, it happens to everyone. Like I, I guarantee you, like some of the top top photographers all over the world will have moments where they go, oh, like give me a second, I need, I just need to like reset myself. You know. Awesome. Now, what's uh, what's your plan for the next, like for the next year or so? So for me, um, you may have noticed, like I've been shooting uh, sports portraits and stuff at the moment. Yeah. Um, I I sort of um, had a little sort of few months back, well, maybe like late last year, actually had a sort of think about like what I was shooting and stuff and everything and, and what business I was getting in, if I was doing well or not. There's a lot of photographers in London who shoot headshots and fashion fitness and, and yeah. boudoir and doudoir and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I enjoy it, but it's hard battling it out with, you know, the attention and, and grabbing clients over yeah. the multiple photographers that shoot that. And I was like, okay, well, I want to do that, but I can't continue because I might not make enough money from it. So I've got to try and shoot some other stuff. Um, so I've started doing uh, like sports portraits and everything, and I um, because I, I I love my sports, uh, and I was already following a few um, photographers who shoot that sort of stuff, like um, Paul Cooper uh, and Nick Eagle as well. Yeah. Uh, I really love their work, and I was like, I'd love to shoot stuff like that. And so I've I've started it, and um, I've I luckily via um, 
having relationships with modeling agencies that I, I'm now working with this sports agency that has, um, people who, who play on actual sports teams. So that's always good, you mm-hmm. know, cause then not only are you getting your, um, content from them, you're potentially gaining or grabbing the attention of that said sports club. So I'm, I've shot some sports portraits now. I've mainly shot at the moment, like women's footballers, which actually coincidentally worked really well with the, the, the women's euros. This yes, summer. absolutely. I was going to say. Perfect. Uh, like it, it's so funny because a lot of people said, oh yeah, so you've seen that the Euros have done well and then you've started shooting female footballers. I'm like, no, I was shooting them before that, you know, and I had the idea way, way before that, before I even realized how big the Euros was going to be for women's football. Um, I actually recently shot uh, just the other day, a long jumper for um, England and Great Britain. So what I'm trying to aim towards now is to, is to be able to, on my whiteboard, um, I have like, you know, working with big brands, working for clubs, being drafted in as a, as a sort of commissioned photographer to shoot, I don't know, the latest kit for a football team or, you know, oh, um, you know, we've, we've, we've got this person's uh, going to be doing an interview in, th- in this big sports magazine. We need to do some portraits of them and stuff that's that's my aim over like the next year and or or however long it takes to to be getting those sort of jobs and stuff um yeah i it would be the the aim would be to work with the big brands um and and potentially big clubs um my goal bar is only set to a certain point at the moment not because i don't believe in myself or i'm being cautious i'm just being realistically you know i know that even with the hard work that I've put in and the eyes that I'm starting to turn with that, I'm not necessarily going to be shooting big Premier League starts, you know. So I have my goal set for where I uh, should or where I'd like to be by, say, the end of next year. Um, and if I reach that before, great, then I reset my bar. But it's at, a, it's at an adjustable point right now where I, if if I reach it, I can I can start to aim higher again. Um, but the, the the dream the dream goal would be shoot big big sports stars, uh, and 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 work and and get a, a job or be commissioned um, from uh, any big sports team really. I mean, that form of goal setting is you know is really good advice for anybody who's who's setting up their own business just generally. But you know certainly in photography, it's it's a really great idea to to set your set realistic goals you know and then achievable goals basically, you know yeah, and of course. then you basically move from from one goal to the next. Um, as... Yeah, I think so, and and it's it's nice to have somewhere to aim to, even if it's not necessarily a goal. It's just a like, okay, by the end in six months' time, I want to have improved on, you know, uh, my lighting for portraits. I want to improve on how I work with models, etc. It's it's good to have those targets yeah. because then you're not just sort of like you know, drifting around aimlessly in the in the photography universe, going where am I? What yeah, am I doing? Yeah, it's very easily done, actually. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's very easily done. Yeah, of course it is. That's the thing. Of course it is. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely good to have those kind of aims and goals. Put it up on a I've I've got a whiteboard up that just says, you know, uh, I've got it split into uh, three sections. I'm just looking at it now. So I've got the projects that I want to do, um, any sort of like personal projects that I have ideas on. Um, I've got um, people who I want to collaborate with, whether it be models right. or something, because I think they could, I could really capture some great stuff for me and they could sort of help, you know, move certain parts of my work up a level. 
Um, I've got two sections. I lied. The last section is actually just a list of all makeup artists that I <laughs> that um that I I needed information for. But yeah, I've got that whiteboard up with with goals that I'd like to get to. Yeah. Um, and I'll be honest, there are some on there that have been on there for a few years. <laughs> But, but there are ones that have been on and have now gone and been yeah. replaced and then they've even gone. So it's it's good to have those. And visually having them on a whiteboard or, or any sort of board, even if it's right. a notepad, just having those visual goals because then they're in your eyes then, you know, uh, and you don't forget yeah. about them. You know, always to have, have those goals visually there for you and, and give yourself a name and go, I don't know, I want to improve on this area of my photography. I want to try more. I'd love to do more landscape right. this year, uh, you know. It's always, always good to have those goals instead of, like say, like just floating around in in the photography space. Fantastic, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. It was, you know, just some really great advice. I mean, there, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you. Um, you know some of our listeners might want to listen to to some of your tips several times over to that old sink in. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for coming onto the onto the podcast. Thank you. For having um, me. So that is it. We have come to the end of. This week's episode, Camera Shake Podcast, episode 123. Um, again, you know, just be reminded that if you are listening to the audio version, well, if you've made it this far in the audio version, then, you know, by all means, if you want to re-listen to, to all of that, you know, gold that Mark's, um, you know, given us in this episode, then you know, head over to YouTube, uh, youtube.com forward slash Camera Shake Podcast, uh, where you can see the whole thing in beautiful Technicolor, obviously. But that being said, you know, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, I forget, TikTok, and all of all of that good stuff. Um, that is it for this week. See you next week. Bye.